Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio today is Valerie Aurora, who I am very much looking forward to talking to. But first, I want to address an aspect, a component, a part of a letter that I recently answered in the live chat and did not get to as thoroughly unpack as I may have wished. Uh, readers of the live chat may already know the letter of which I speak. It is the Mrs. Claus outfit letter. Uh, it is perhaps the greatest letter I have ever received, by which I, I think I mostly mean the letter that made me stop several times and say, oh, all right, what a rich tapestry life is. Uh, the, the letter writer in question is a gentleman with a uh, older teenage child uh, who has a boyfriend. Uh, and recently he accidentally walked in on his daughter uh, and her boyfriend uh, being, you know, a prelude towards intimacy, if you will, uh, which is not the problem. Uh, he says, I, I, I'm not thrilled that my daughter is having sex, but she's of age and things happen. Uh, the problem was this. What her boyfriend was wearing was, I believe, a family costume. Uh, it belonged to the family. It's a, it's a Mrs. Claus costume. Uh, and the purpose of this Mrs. Claus costume is that every year uh, the letter writer's wife wears it to Thanksgiving to serve the turkey. And I got to handle like, you know, how, how do you deal with this internally? How do you talk about this with family members uh, fairly thoroughly in the live chat? But the real thing that I want to talk about is bearing in mind that we all have the right to make whatever choices we want. Why are you wearing a Christmas costume to Thanksgiving? It is Thanksgiving. Let Thanksgiving have its own day. Uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you guys how to live your life. Of course, if you want to smash together holidays, if you want to celebrate, you know, Arbor Day and Labor Day at the same time in, I don't know, Larbor Day, uh, you are free to. You are absolutely free to. If you want to start playing Christmas music in April, you get to. But, I, you know, let Mrs. Claus wait another 24 hours like that. I, I, I think that's your biggest problem here is just that you are beginning the Mrs. Claus uh, celebration on a day when, frankly, she should be resting. She's got a busy season ahead of her. She deserves a day off. Um, so, you know, good luck with your whole weird knowledge about your kid that you kind of wish you didn't have. But mostly I think the takeaway from this letter is just just celebrate Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving and let Christmas start the next day. Also, I have a million follow-up questions, none of which will ever be answered, but I wish that entire family a great deal of joy. And you know what? Actually, I take it all back. Get everybody a Mrs. Claus outfit, frankly. Like, you should all have one, and you should all feel free to use it, you know, sexually or, or recreationally or, or completely non-sexually in whatever way you see fit. But I say Mrs. Claus costumes for everyone. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets to wear it. Keep, you know, keep your own. Don't don't take somebody else's. Oh, I'm just I know that when I am at my own Thanksgiving table later this week, that's all I'm going to be able to think about is how's that family doing today? Is she wearing the Mrs. Claus costume? Has it since been laundered? And how's everyone doing? How's everyone doing sitting around that table with various various degrees of knowledge 
about the outfit and its multiple uses and Mrs. Claus and just how she feels about all of this. I I just want to thank you, letter writer, for sending me the gift of that letter. It will become encoded in my DNA and I will carry it with me. And someday when scientists find my body and pull it out of the grave to study the 21st century, they will find your story written in my genetic code. And they will say, what a rich, rich tapestry life was long ago. Valerie Aurora teaches the Ally Skills Workshop, which shows tech workers how to use their privilege to fight bias and discrimination. Valerie, welcome to the show. I can't believe I'm here in the advice factory, watching the advice getting made. It's very exciting. This is where we churn out all of the advice. This is where (laughs) it happens. Um, How are you today? Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of a little excited and, and, uh, this, I'm sort of an advice, um, uh, nerd, I mm-hmm. guess I would say. So this is extremely exciting for me. I, I just, I just don't know how to control it I, entirely. I share <laughs> your like advice fangirlery. Um, I, I too love advice columns and I read them all the time and it still feels really strange that I do one now. Um, so I'm really excited to have you here, uh, also, I, I think you outlined a really good Star Trek episode right there with the, the DNA encoding and the, yeah. <laughs> that is the kindest thing anyone has ever said to me. All I care about is Star Trek uh, and, this, and this story. So thank you for combining my two only interests. Um, and thank you so much for being a witness to the Mrs. Claus story. I highly recommend going back and rereading that live chat because it was just remarkable. As soon as possible. Yeah. If nothing else, I hope that it gives you something to think about as you, if, if you celebrate Thanksgiving, if, if you do that this week, I hope it comes to mind. I, yeah. I, I just feel very strongly about saving Christmas um, to be a little bit special because if it's Christmas all around, all year round, it's just, it's just not the same. So I, I feel like six weeks is plenty of time, right? Like yeah. you get a fair, or five to six weeks. Like you get It depends a, on like how long it takes you to put away the decorations. But yeah, yeah. You get a fair amount of time for Christmas in, in this country if you celebrate Christmas, which not everyone does. I, I, I also want to acknowledge too, one thing that I notice, especially around this time of year is for readers of the column who do not celebrate Christmas, which is mm-hmm. lots of people, I, I think it can get really overwhelming because um, mm-hmm. so much of the advice from, you know, mid-October on is just the holidays. And usually what people mean when they say that is Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. Um, Mm. Not always, but often, especially in this column, that's what people are asking about is the sort of like standard American Christian holidays, whether or not they are, uh, you know, practicing members of a particular religious denomination. And so I think it can be really overwhelming and, and, and possibly more than a little alienating to hear some of the same questions, um, over and over again around a holiday that you're like, this is not a part of my life. So I just want to like acknowledge um, a lot of uh, readers do not celebrate Christmas and are like, I do not have this problem that everyone else is having about fighting over a tree or whatever. And I'd sure rather talk about my weird boss. <laughs> so uh, I just want to let you all know, I'm thinking of you. Uh, stay strong. Uh, I have done my best to find a lot of uh, non-Christmas related questions for the podcast this week, and I'm going to do my best to keep the Christmas uh, etiquette questions to a dull roar through the end of December. Um, And to that end, actually, one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit before we jump into the questions is um, therapy, which is something that I recommend a lot on this column and podcast. Um, And I also want to acknowledge that not everybody can afford therapy. Uh, or is able to find a therapist in the area where they live or, or you know, can spare the time because it is a considerable 
expense in terms of, you know, time, transportation, money, et cetera. Finding the right therapist can often take a while. Insurance does not always cover therapy and it can be really expensive out of pocket. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that, you know, I don't think the answer to every single person's problem is just therapy. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about things you can do in addition to therapy or uh, as an alternative to therapy that can help, you know, clarify your thoughts, get in touch with what you're thinking and feeling, uh, address some fears and anxieties that may be preventing you from taking the steps that you want to take to the next phase of your life uh, and to just talk a little bit about what those things might be. Uh, and I wanted to sort of invite you to, you know, freestyle brainstorm some <laughs> thoughts with me. Um, but yeah, because I was thinking, I had somebody talking to me the other day who was just like, I straight up cannot afford therapy even a little bit and probably will not be able to for the immediate future. And so I was trying to think of, you know, what are some low or no cost alternatives? So there's this really great guest post on Captain Awkward. I assume we're allowed to talk about other advice columns. I love talking about other advice columns. And Captain Awkward has some fabulous yes. stuff. Yeah. So recently, uh, Tiffany Howard wrote a guest post called 14 Free and Low-Cost Mental Health Resources. It's amazing. It's a bunch of different versions, everything from like a free app you can put on your phone to meeting with groups and counseling each other to people providing free counseling over the phone. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. And it, my favorite kind of therapy is number two, acceptance and commitment therapy. Ooh. So there's a lot of really good books and resources and exercises you can do on your own. You can get the book from the library or um, if you can afford whatever, the $15. Uh, it's it's a sort of an extension of cognitive behavioral therapy, which everyone knows about. And it's wonderful for anyone who likes the Stoics because it's basically like life is pain. Here's how you learn to deal with pain better. The number of times I have opened an episode of the podcast with that one Marcus Aurelius quote uh, that everyone I, I feel like everyone that I know who knows it only knows it from P.G. Woodhouse, uh, which is the like, you know, do you meet with like uh, pain and indifference and the incompetence of others today? That's normal. I'm paraphrasing Marcus Aurelius a whole bunch right now. Um, and then, uh, you know, I believe in the Woodhouse book, he just responds, well, you can tell Marcus Aurelius that he is an ass, which is always my response to the Stoics. But that's great. That's so helpful. Um, and I think, yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a very specific type of therapy that uh, can be very helpful in addressing repetitive, anxious thoughts or trying to break certain habits. Uh, there are a lot of relatively inexpensive workbooks available to order online. Um, I don't don't necessarily want to plug a particular one just because I don't have a ton of experience in working with all of them. But I do know if you simply Google cognitive behavioral therapy workbook, um, you know, it's a very specific technique. So it's something that you can do um, with or without a therapist. And it can be very helpful if the issue that you deal with is like a habit that you would like to change, um, unhelpfully obsessive thoughts. You know, sometimes anxiety can be useful because it can help you address something that you're afraid of. And sometimes it can just be this repetitive voice in the back of your head preventing you from moving forward. And so it can kind of help you interrupt that cycle. Ask, you know, what am I really afraid of here? What am I afraid I might lose or not get? Um, what's the worst possible outcome? You know, it, sort of focusing your imaginative powers in such a way that you don't trap yourself on an endless loop. Yeah. I think also any form of group therapy can be helpful, but here's my overall advice on that, which is if a group therapy feels weird or if somebody's making strange advances towards you or ordering you, for example, to get down on your knees and pray right now for your your salvation or something like that. Oh, golly. Just leave. These are all stories that have happened. And yeah, just leave. Just go. Um, there are good, useful, great free group therapy sessions. Um, but if they feel weird, 
don't go go to a different one. Go to uh, a different one in the same group, uh, the same sort of uh, theory. That, like for example, there's a bunch of twelve step groups, mm-hmm. and whichever one you're in, there's going to be a, a bunch of terrible groups, and there's going to be a bunch of really good ones. And so it, they may be objectively terrible, or they may just not be the right match for you. Uh, and I, I want to extend that in general to anything you try. Just keep trying. Just keep trying many different things. If something doesn't work for you, that's okay. That's normal. Right. That's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think especially with stuff like, you know, most towns of a certain size will have support groups. Often, uh, if you simply Google the name of your town and then support groups, there will be support groups for people dealing with, you know, bereavement um, or with loss. There'll be 12-step programs for people dealing with addiction or addictive patterns. Um, there will be support groups often uh, if your town is large enough for LGBT people. Um, and, and sometimes there'll be groups like Codependence Anonymous and Adult Children of Alcoholics and so on and so on. Um, And I think with that, with therapy, with any sort of mental health assistance, sometimes I think um, when people will recommend it, it's just this sort of try this thing. And uh, we sometimes don't take into account like it's just people doing this. And sometimes people are weird or not helpful. And so if you see a therapist or you go to a support group and you find aspects of it helpful, but other things that people say seem really over the line or controlling or just way, way off base, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the concept of therapy or support groups are a bad one. It just means that you have found one that either doesn't work for you or has some really like bad dynamics. Um, And it is absolutely fine to just say, this is not going to work for me. I'm going to move on and try somewhere else as opposed to thinking, wow, this is what therapy is like. This is what a support group is like. This is the only thing available to me. And if I find these aspects painful or unhelpful, I might as well just go back to trying to cope completely by myself. And so I also just want to put in a plug for, you know, journaling. Uh, I don't love journaling. I'm not a native journaler. Like, I don't sit down and think like, oh, this feels great. I feel very relaxed and not at all weird. Um, But sometimes even just spending five minutes during a time of the day that you feel relatively unrushed and non-exhausted and just writing down, what am I feeling right now? What am I afraid of? What am I hopeful for? Um, What do I want? What do I feel entitled to? Not necessarily entitled in a bad sense, just like what am I hoping to get out of this situation or from this relationship? Um, And just kind of like take the temperature on on yourself for, you know, a couple of weeks and and go back and kind of look, has anything changed? Have I noticed any patterns? Is there something that I want to discuss with close friends? Um, That's, you know, if it's hard for you to be around people or if you don't necessarily live in a town large enough to support many support groups, that's that's also a great way to just sort of spend a little time every day checking in with yourself. And I think that's very much worth doing. I'm also not a native journal journaler, but I have done it off and on over time. And it's okay. You can just do something for a while and stop again. Yeah, so, I think that's like the main things that I want to communicate are you can try a lot of different things. If something doesn't work for you, that is fine. You can move on. Um, if something works for you for a season and then you stop doing it, that's fabulous. Like, you don't necessarily have to say, okay, I am now the person who is in therapy professionally. I will be in therapy for the Although rest of Although that's totally me. I'm like, yes, therapy. Let me tell you about my therapy. I know it's fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> no, but- I'm, I actually, and I'm wrong. I'm, not, I'm no longer doing individual therapy right now, but I'll probably start again in a few months. Yeah, and know, to just say, fine. like, if I want to give this a shot for six months or a year, uh, see what I get out of it, and then, you know, not continue doing it on a regular basis, that's fantastic. And hopefully, if you're seeing a support group or a therapist, um, you know, look for one who, if you say, I'm doing really well and I think I want to discontinue for the foreseeable future, would just say, that's fantastic. I'm very excited for you. As opposed to, no, you need to keep coming back. You have to stay. Um, There should be a lot of freedom on both of your ends of, as long as this is mutually helpful, 
then we can continue. Then we can continue. Um, and once that's no longer the case, it's absolutely fine to move on. Yeah, I want to plug two more things. One is um, uh, there are a lot of guided meditations that are free on the internet, things around self-compassion, extending self-awareness, things like those. And especially if you suffer a lot from anxiety, these are fantastic resources. They're completely free. All you do is play them for five minutes and listen to them and try to follow along. And the other thing I want to point out is that there are a ton of resources for low cost or free uh, therapy. So often if you just ask an individual therapist, hey, I, I'll have difficulty affording this. They'll give you new rates. There's uh, schools which are teaching people how to be counselors. They often have student rates, which are, are extremely affordable. Uh, and then there's a number of, of programs providing totally free uh, cons- uh, counseling to people. So there's there's stuff out there. And oh, and another thing I'd just like to suggest, like there are people in your life who care about you. And if you said, hey, I'm suffering, I need help. Could you help me pay for therapy? They would be like, yes. Make sure that there's a good relationship there. You want them to have no control over your therapist or to, to insist that you do any particular things. But there are many people who, in some people's lives who would say, sure, I will freely and happily give this to you without any I hope control. all of you have friends yeah. who are like therapy philanthropists <laughs> and who are just begging to be asked to pay for your therapy. I, Wow, I never even thought about that. But yeah, if you've got a lot of money, sponsor your friend's therapy. Yes. That would be a great, good thing <laughs> to do. They may be tired of listening to you. Uh, no, they, they, they care about you and they love you. And um, yeah. Yeah, but You'd I just, I, I'm, I'm glad we could talk about this a little because I just realized I do often recommend it. And that's I think, great. I think more of us should consider therapy. But I also just want to acknowledge that it's not always feasible for everybody to start seeing a great therapist tomorrow. Um, and just to, you know, acknowledge there's a lot of other ways to take care of yourself and your your own emotions um, when you can't see a therapist. All right. So between Mrs. Claus and therapy, I feel like we have already begun to heal the world. But uh, I think we can also get more specific. And I'd love to dive into our letters. And I'm going to go ahead and read our first one, the subject line of which is simply, my best friends are growing closer and leaving me behind. Dear Prudence, my best friends since childhood are outgrowing me. It hurts and bothers me a lot more than it does them. I thought that we would always be constants in each other's lives. We're nearing two decades of friendship. But lately, they all have more in common with each other. I know this is a part of life, but I ache because I miss them so much. I am exhausted by trying so hard to keep them in my life, and I don't know how to stop hurting long enough when they do reach out to me to enjoy seeing them. I don't know how to move on and accept what our friendship is becoming. Do you have any suggestions? So my first take on this letter was like, wow, letter writer, you're in a lot of pain. Um, The words I underlined in here are, it hurts and bothers me. Uh, I ache. I am exhausted. I don't know how to stop hurting, and I don't know how to move on. Uh, and when you talk about the length of time that you've been friends, uh, nearing two decades of friendship, like that, we're approaching something more like losing family members sort of feeling. Uh, this is a really strong emotional connection. And I just want I just want to start by saying, like, be okay with that, that this is really painful. I'm, I'm very curious about what's pulling them all apart from you. When I initially read this, I, I somehow thought it was just two friends who are just more friends with each other than they were with the third friend. Uh, but it's it's seems it sounds like all or most of your friends. So um, overall, I would I would class this as like saying uh, really looking at this as you were grieving, um, and there's a lot of resources for helping with going through grief. So that's a place to start. Yeah, my my initial read on this was that this was a variation on a theme that comes up a lot 
when people reach their, you know, mid-20s to mid-30s, which is some friends start having children and others don't, and that's often a big dividing line. But actually, uh, upon rereading it, I'm not so sure that that's what's going on. I feel like usually when the kids thing is a factor, someone will bring it up. Um, And so I'm sort of curious, um, has there been, uh, like, is this about like things that they value and prioritize? Is this about temperament? Is this about shared interest? Is this about lifestyle? Is this about money? All, a little bit of all of the above. Um, and I, I, I just don't know. I can't quite speak to that. But I think in addition to really acknowledging and addressing your intense levels of grief, it doesn't sound like you have shared this with them. It sounds like you've done a lot to try to, you know, foster that closeness and to sort of renew the intimacy that you once shared. But letter writer, you don't say that you have shared with your friends specifically. I feel like we're growing apart. I feel like I want to see you. I miss you so much. And I feel like we're not connecting the way that we used to. Do you feel that way too? Have you noticed that? Is there something we can do about that? Um, and I think if you if you trust your friends and, you know, unless they've done or said something that would lead you put to believe that they don't care about that, I think you can say something. I think you should say something. Um, I think that even if their response is the worst case scenario, which is, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's the same as it's always been. Or worse, yes, we are growing apart and that's been on purpose. I have wanted to grow apart from you. It would be better than this sort of extremely painful situation where you feel like you can't acknowledge the problem, but you're working as hard as you can to sort of do the work of all of the friends, right? Like you're doing all the work of staying close. Um, but you're not acknowledging what's changed. And I think I think you can and should talk to them. I'm always going to be in favor of, at least even if you don't accomplish your goal, getting, getting in practice talking about your feelings up front with people you care about is going to help you so much. Uh, I've sort of, um, I've, I used, I moved a lot as a child and as an adult and had to make, make new friends a bunch of times. And I've actually come to a sort of, a fairly scientific understanding of the art of friend making. One of the things I it's on I'd like to bring to you here is is this sense that these are your friends and there's sort of no other friends you can have, hmm. um, or just the idea that the idea that friendship is is um, difficult or unattainable or difficult to start again. And this sounds like a, a sort of a, a fairly common experience at this age, right? That you're starting to grow apart, you're starting to have different interests. Uh, and there's actually a bunch of so just just to be clear, it friendships, long term friendships are wonderful. You will have more of them as well, even if this these ones don't work out. Uh, but there's a there's a certain level of trying to make it work that doesn't work for friendships. And that's kind of what I hear with um, I am exhausted by trying so hard to keep them in my lives. Sometimes it's a simple. So an amazingly important factor in being a friend is how close you live to e- to each other. And that's not a thing you c- can really control. Uh, I have stayed friends with people when we lived apart through a lot of effort, uh, and then we returned together and could be friends at the same level again, but it's it's fairly rare. Uh, so there is a, I just want to put in a plug for whatever the outcome ends up being. If it's so hard to be friends with them, consider maybe it's time to make new friends that are more compatible with your current lifestyle. Right. And that doesn't even have to be like a replacement goldfish, right? Right. Like these friends are drifting away inexorably. There's nothing to be done about it. I've got to find some other people to immediately replace this Mm -hmm. two decades long relationship. And uh, you're right that this is often a part of life. We do not always stay 
daily, intimately close with the people we were really close with in childhood. Um, but I think it's also really important to say, regardless of of the outcome between you and these friends, it's really good to have a lot of different friendships. And that's not to say everybody has to have a hundred friends, um, but it can be really intense when you only have a handful of people you've known for a very long time as your emotional support. Uh, I'm going to get real hippie for a second and talk about like old growth forests, which like you may be familiar with like forests are often healthiest when there is a wide mix of very old trees and very new trees and some trees that have been around for kind of a while. And so sometimes something like moving can be really painful because all of a sudden you live in this new place and all your friendships there started at the same time. So you're kind of at the same level of intimacy with everybody that you know. And I think it can be really helpful in life to have a variety of friendships, um, some of which are people who have known you a very long time, some of which are people that you get to know as an adult and share a lot more common interests, but don't necessarily have the same shared history. I realize I'm kind of saying, hey, get a lot of friends, like have a rich emotional life where you feel safe and comfortable with a lot of different people. And that is easier said than done. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like, oh, yeah, do that thing that's super easy and make a lot of like dear bosom trustworthy friends tomorrow. Um, But I do think that in addition to addressing your needs that are not being met in your current friendships, it's also really good to foster connections with maybe friendly coworkers or people that you see on a regular basis, but you're sort of just acquaintances with and to sort of, you know, make an attempt to move people who are already in a category of like, oh, you're a positive acquaintance. I seem to enjoy you of like, let's get coffee sometime or let's talk a little bit longer when we catch up next time. Um, And I think that will go a long way towards making this feel like, oh, gosh, I am uprooting the only trees in my forest to I love these trees. These are my favorite trees. But there's other trees here, too. I will stop using a tree metaphor. I'm not good at this. This is is the inside of this advice factory. Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I would just say, like you say, that this is part of life and you need to move on and accept it. And I would just say as true as it can be that we sometimes drift apart uh, in some ways from older friendships, it's not inevitable. It doesn't mean you can't address it. It doesn't mean you have to just say the only thing to do here is say my friends don't care about me anymore. They like each other better than me. I just need to get over it. You can you can say these things and it may feel painful and vulnerable, but, you know, you don't say anything here that suggests that your friends don't care about you. Um, and I think if you just share with them, I really miss you. It's it's really hard for me to feel like we're not as close as we used to be. Can you and I get dinner sometime in the next week and just catch up? Because I really miss you and I care about you. Um, and give them a chance to respond. Yeah, and they're they're probably not a monolithic unit. I mean, they may be, and that is one of the arguments for diversity of friendships is when your friends are a monolithic unit and they work together, they can cast you out all at once, mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, and I, I I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. And I've, I've witnessed it a number of times in various uh, online socializing groups I've been part of where somebody, all of their friendship is focused in the socializing group. And in particular, a thing that will often happen is they will then become like really unpleasant mm-hmm. and needy and inappropriate mm-hmm. and uh, inappropriately close and inappropriately demanding. And we have to ask them to leave. And then they have no friends. Which is not, by the way, letter yeah, writer that's not happening that that's here. what you're doing. I'm just saying this is one of the reasons to, um, yeah, definitely not implying that this is what is happening here. This is one of the reasons to have a variety of friends is that that situation is less likely to happen. I also want to put in a plug for, again for Captain Awkward because Captain Awkward has a ton of incredibly concrete advice on how to make Captain more friends. Awkward on the show. Oh my God, that would be we got like, like neutron stars colliding. It would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> so um, if, if you're sitting there and saying like, oh, this sounds terrible. I have gone through this a number of times. I am super socially awkward. I am not naturally good at making friends. And if you just 
grit your teeth and go through the motions, you'll end up with friends. It's amazing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and good luck. It sounds like you're you're really anxious about sharing this with your friends because you feel incredibly vulnerable. And I just hope that, you know, it is OK to feel vulnerable. And sometimes it's hard with friends. I think we have a lot of scripts for romantic relationships. And sometimes it can be harder to share with a friend like the love I have for you makes me feel vulnerable and anxious. And it's kind of like asking somebody out, frankly. It's like, here's part of my heart. Are you going to receive that? And and it's really hard. And so I just want to acknowledge that the way that you feel about your friends, I, I relate to it. I think a lot of us can relate to it. Um, and it's sometimes really almost more painful than going through a, a romantic breakup. Speaking of which, <laughs> our next letter is on that very Excellent theme. Segue. All right. Would you care to read it? I'd be happy to. Uh, subject, cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Dear Prudence, I had a brief affair with a coworker. We're both involved with other people, and it wasn't the right way to deal with the things I was unhappy with in my relationship. I'm now in the middle of a breakup with my partner. It's nothing to do directly with the affair, since he doesn't know, and I have since ended things with my coworker. But the affair made me realize that I wasn't going to be able to fix things. The question is, should I tell him that I had an affair? It feels relevant, since right now he wants us to stay together, since he thinks I'm a good partner, and he's the screw-up. I've tried to say it wasn't just him, but without context, it's hard to give a substantive explanation as to my role. On the other hand, it seems like it's going to cause him pain for no reason since we're going to break up anyhow. Plus, he's a bit of a hothead and might go to yell the odds at my coworker, who has no plans to leave his wife and or tell her. So should I spill the beans or not? So before we get to whether or not you should spill the beans, I just want to throw this out there. Letter writer, it's great. You seem to have some awareness that, like, this affair was not the best way to deal with the issues that were facing you in your relationship. And I just want to throw out a casual reminder to all the listeners that if something is bad in your relationship, an affair is not going to help. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not. It's like, oh, my car's not running. I better have a milkshake. I'm sure it's a great milkshake, but it is not addressing the issue with your car even a little bit. Uh, and it will just save everyone a lot of heartache and headaches if instead of cheating on your partner, you break up with them and or say, this aspect of our relationship really bugs me. Can we stop it? Yeah. Um, I just want to say I, I have a lot of sympathy. Like a lot of people make this very mistake. It's it's super common. For I don't sure. think you should view yourself as broken over it. But yeah, it never works. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, and, and certainly the letter writer does not seem to be unduly beating themselves up. Uh, I think it's fair to just say like... Oh. I think uh, uh, he. I think the letter writer is is doing some beating up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's let's let's take this letter apart. They okay. say it wasn't the right way to deal with things I was unhappy with. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not I should tell my partner. There's nothing in there about like I must be a bad person. Well, here's it. It feels relevant since right now he wants us to stay together since he thinks I'm a good partner and he's the screw up. And so the letter writer seems to be like. I'm I'm a bad person, too, and I need to convince you of this so that we can break up. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that having an affair makes them a better partner. Right. Yeah. They're not wearing a hair shirt. Um, I would go ahead and say this. It feels like an appropriate level of I was not as good a partner to him as he thinks. Um, I was not being as forthcoming or faithful as he believed me to have been. Mm -hmm. So at any rate. Mm -hmm. uh, So you seem to be aware of that. Uh, Two things here for me. One is, do you need to tell your soon-to-be ex, your ex, uh, that you had an affair in order to justify breaking up? And the answer to that is, hell no. You just get to say, I don't want to be with you anymore. That's enough. You know, like, 
if, you know, being in a relationship's got to be a unanimous vote. And if one person votes nay, the nays carry. So um, all you have to say is, I would like to break up, so we are broken up. That's it. You don't have to go into an exhaustive laundry list of everything that was wrong with your relationship. You can just say, I'm not happy in our relationship. I don't want to continue to be together. We are done. So in that sense, no, you do not have to tell him. Um, You also don't have to name the person that you had an affair with, especially if you believe that your partner um, might, like, try to go yell at your coworker. Um, So I looked up yell the odds, mm -hmm. and there's almost no results for the actual phrase. It did seem like an unusual Uh, idiom. Yeah, it seems to be related to um, racing. As far as I can tell. Oh, like at a betting parlor yeah. or something? Yeah. A betting parlor. I recently watched a betting this parlor. Thing, yes. So. At the racetrack. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I was like, that is so interesting. So, um. right. So, you, you know, if a part of you would like to, not would like to, if a part of you feels like you need to or, or that you, you, you think he needs to have that information or it feels like the right choice, um, you also don't have to say, by the way, here's the person I cheated on you with. Um, and I think sometimes it can invite, if you were to say it to your partner, your soon-to-be ex, your ex, and he said, I'm furious, I'm betrayed, I demand details, it, it, you might feel like, oh, I have to give them to you because I feel guilty. Exactly. And you don't. You Just because you did something hurtful um, does not mean that you owe him the details of what happened. And you can, you could say things were not good in our relationship. I had an affair. I'm sorry that I hurt you, but it also made me realize I don't want to be together. Um, if his response to that is, I'm furious, tell me everything, you can say, I'm not going to do that. That's so, I'm not going to add to the yeah. things I've done wrong by doing more wrong by betraying somebody else's confidence. So th- I'm, I'm going to I'm going to add an additional vote f- for don't say anything about the affair at all, because you mentioned that. So there's you don't say exactly why you're unhappy with your partner, but you do say he's a bit of a hothead. And I'm going to guess that one of the things you don't like about your partner yeah. is, that, is that he yells at you and makes you feel afraid. I would say don't say anything about that. The other thing is, can I share my personal experience? Hell Tell yeah. Tell affair or not affair. Yeah. So um, one of my very, I was very young. I was dating this guy for like two weeks. Uh, I immediately figured out, oh my God, this is the wrong relationship for me. I need to not be in this anymore. But I was on a trip and I felt like it was not right to break up with him by a phone. And while on that trip, I slept with somebody else, right? So I came back and I did not tell him about sleeping with anyone else. I just broke up with him. It was like a long, unpleasant three-hour conversation, but Oof. I broke up with him. A few months later, a mutual quote, friend, unquote, decided he wanted to hurt me and told my ex about the uh, affair, unquote. And it was definitely worse, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's one of the strangest things about this this um, letter to me is the idea that telling your partner about the affair will make things better for you. It sounds like it will make things worse. Uh, that's I, especially if if you are intimidated into revealing that it's the coworker. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, your life will be worse I, not, not better i'm with you you already are ending this relationship you already know you don't want to be with this person um you have at least something of a suspicion that if you did share it he might try to yell at your coworker, possibly at work possibly try to like um mess with your own career um because that would not reflect great on you um so i, I you know my vote is you're ending this relationship this is not information that would be particularly useful to him. You don't plan on staying together. Uh, just, just say you, just say you're breaking up. Yeah, um, and that's all I, the reason you need. 
I, Captain Awkward, again, has a ton of letters on this issue where people being like, I'm, all right, I'm all sorry. right, look, look, I love <laughs> other advice Captain columns, Awkward. but this is your third reference. We're only halfway through our it's my last one. All right. It's all right. You I can promise. keep referencing other advice columns. You just got to mix it up or I'm going to start to feel. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I'm a secret Captain Awkward shill is the problem. No, um, there's there are uh, there's just a lot of a lot of people out there think they need to get their partner to agree to break up. And you don't. Oh, you yeah. just don't. You really, really don't. You decide by yourself. Uh, And that's one of the things that kind of led me to feel more sympathy for this letter writer is that I could see that coming through. And I'm like, oh, you don't think your feelings are enough to control your life? Uh, They are. You know, actually, the more I'm rereading this letter, and Mm -hmm. I realize I'm maybe reading between the lines a little more than I should, but I can kind of understand why the letter writer had an affair. Just in the sense that, like, your partner says he wants you to stay together since you're a good partner and he's a screw up. And, like, maybe you're paraphrasing him, but he's not saying, I think we should stay together because I believe we both really love each other and want to be together. It's, I believe we ha- we should stay together because you're a good partner to me, not because it makes you happy. Like, he, between that and the hothead thing, again, I don't want to speculate too much, but it sounds like he's more than a little bit controlling and is is either implying or outright saying as long as I'm getting what I want from you, we can't break up. Um, and I I would resent that immensely if I were in a relationship with this guy. And I, I, I can kind of see myself maybe making some maladaptive choices to try to feel less trapped, too. So, yeah, his whole deal of like, well, I'm a screw up. Obviously, I'm not bringing much to the table here, but you should stay with me because I think you're a good partner. Um, it's kind of a dick move. And, uh, yeah, I'm not... I, this this does not seem like helpful information for him to have. So my vote is break up with him, lose his number, do not let him guilt you into endlessly rehashing your relationship or why you should have to stay with him because he's such a screw up and you're fixing that or something. Um, yeah, just end it. Keep the rest to yourself and be well. Like, get this guy out of your life. All right. Um, subject line of the next is simply Weinstein but not famous. Dear Prudence, 17 years ago, a coworker whom I had been dating but had also broken up with coerced me into having sex. Immediately afterward, he pinned me down and choked me. I thought I was going to die and still occasionally deal with the effects of trauma from that experience. At the time, I did not think it was rape. I thought that rape was only committed by strangers. I'd gone to his house at his invitation for another reason, thinking that things were okay between us. And I'd given in instead of fighting him off physically. He's much bigger than I am. I now live in a different country and occasionally search for him online, hoping to read that he has died. But Google will reveal nothing. He simply didn't exist. Until today. I saw him referred to by a different name and found video footage of him. He's changed his name, city, and industry. He's now a doctor. I'm shocked to think that he's in a caring profession. Can I assume that over the years he has learned not to rape women who break up with him? Or could his behavior have become worse? I want to write a concerned anonymous letter to his employer, but I worry it might be vindictive. I doubt his career will be over on the strength of an anonymous letter. But because I didn't take legal action all that time ago, I'm telling myself that his coworkers should at least be informed. Or should I just let it go? What do you think? I've had therapy. <sighs> uh, so uh, I have some personal experience with this situation as well. Uh, not in the letter writer's position, although I had a similar experience, but uh, oh, with several friends. And it's just super... First, I guess I would just want to say it is very bad. It is miserable and it is relatively common, honestly. Um, The uh, I hear I hear. So I 
I start from a place of victim, victims, it is not your job to save other people or to stop the person who has hurt you. Uh, but what I'm hearing in this letter is this is something that is not leaving you and it is something that you want to take action on. And so there's a whole range of things you can do in this area. And I've got some personal experience with which of them work and which of them don't. Um, just, to, just to give you a little stat to help you with the uh, a statistic to help you with maybe you know, trying to figure out whether or not this is worth doing. Uh, so people who strangle their partners in intimate partner violence are seven times more likely to go on to murder their partners. And many uh, mass shooters have previously strangled an intimate partner. Uh, so this is something that's ex extremely serious. Uh, I can guarantee you he's not learned not to rape women. <laughs> uh, and his behavior has probably become worse. It's not limited to people he's broken up with, I can tell you that. Uh, so um, a very interesting thing that you should think about here is that you live in another country, which means it's harder for this person to reach you legally uh, if they want to come back with some sort of defamation or libel lawsuit. So you being in a different country is a position of strength. Uh, and if there there are some things you can do from that position of strength, uh, one of the things that you'll see in the, the current set of stories coming out about sexual harassment and assault is getting together a group of victims and having them all tell their stories individually, and then they they back each other up in their details. Um, this is an it, this is something you might consider doing. You don't have to do it, uh, but if you can start reaching out to people about this. And when you say start reaching out to people, do you mean trying to get in touch with a reporter, a lawyer, other yes. people who may have known the guy? Like, so, what do you mean by other people? Yes, this is the tough part, right? Because uh, starting that, the starting the connections between all the different people he's harmed is going to be tough. I think there's an interesting clue here. He's changed his name. <laughs> what do you think that means, Mallory? I mean... It, it sure seems likely that he has changed his name to escape a legal or professional entanglement as a result of his abusive and violent right. behavior. Yeah, a friend of mine summarized it this way. Uh, people either change their names because they're involved in some sort of uh, criminal activity or because they are the victim of it. Uh, I've, I just want to put a, put a plug in if you're feeling weird about having changed your name. I changed my name because I didn't want to be associated with a criminal. So, uh, the, but they're I mean, this and is yeah, one of the questions they ask. There are, there are other yeah. reasons people change yeah. their names. Uh, yeah, yeah, there are many, many reasons for them. Those are two of the top ones. There are, of course, a ton of the other reasons, like just not liking your name or transitioning or things like that. Mm -hmm. But in this situation where we have someone presented in this way with a history of violent crime, I'm going to guess. Uh, so that's actually a place to start uh, to uh, look for records of the name change um, and then uh, look for records associated with the old name. And I just want to put in a plug here, too, for... You may or may not be up for that letter writer. So yes, just just, just bear in mind, um, these are options that are available to you. You do mm -hmm. not have to do anything. Um, but it does, as you pointed out, it does sound like this is weighing on you a lot and you would like to get in some sort of contact with somebody. And, and I think that makes so much sense. And I think right. part of what is so hard and so painful about this recent groundswell um, is, is just this recognition of there is such a systemic failure for providing safe and secure ways for people to report sexual crimes committed against them, mm -hmm. that there is this sense that, oh, God, now we're talking about this? Like, I had to put this in such a painful small box mm. in the corner of my life in order to move ahead because it was made very clear to me at the time that I would not be believed, I would not be supported, I would not receive justice if I talked about it. And now I'm realizing, I'm being reminded in so many different ways that I want that more than anything.
I want to tell the truth about what happened to me. I want to see justice. I want that person not to go on harming other people. Um, and and I don't know how, because we, as a society, we in various professions um, have not made it simple or easy for people to report acts of sexual violence. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge, like, part of the pain that you are going through right now is just the realization that not only did this person harm you in a horrible way, um, but you were failed by the the structures and the systems around you. And that's part of why there's this sense of what what do I have left now? An anonymous letter? Will that do me any good? Will that hurt me? Will that make a difference? Will I be seen as vindictive? Will I be believed? Um, and and I hate so much that that's the only thing that's coming to your mind right now is just how do I tell this story? Yeah, it's and I've um, so I have been a participant in helping multiple people tell their stories uh, and have done. I myself have been the journalist. I have been one of the people reporting. I've been on the sidelines giving people advice. Um, And so there are ways to do it. And it looks in particular, um, you find the other victims, you get together and then uh, you go to someone's usually you go to someone's employer first. I would make a plug for uh, figuring out whatever the medical licensing board is. Uh, and whatever you do, starting with that, frankly. Yeah, um, and I would, sorry, I, I don't ahead. don't want to yeah. jump on that, but I would just say, if you do not feel like there is a part of you that is willing or able to contact other people who might know this man and ask an incredibly painful question, like, did he ever assault you? Um, that you can also contact the medical board. You can contact a lawyer to find out how to protect yourself. Um, right. You can contact a journalist who might be interested yes. in working on a story. Um, and you do not have to do that legwork yourself. If that is not something you feel up to doing, please know, uh, mm. don't do it at all. But you can do any and all of those things. Um, and you can also, I, I would encourage you to look up um, whether there's one in the country that you're living in now or one that you can access remotely if there is a restorative justice program, mm. um, which often works with victims of violent crime um, to help support and advocate for them. Not necessarily restorative justice in the sense that you and this guy are going to sit down and have a nice like reconciliation over coffee. I do not in any way mean that. But, but uh, an organization that will help you um, clarify your goals in, in speaking publicly, even if it's anonymously and advocating for yourself um, and helping you access resources that can enable you to do that. And you deserve that. Um, I'm so glad that you've seen a therapist. And I just want you to know that there's more um, specifically targeted things that you can access um, that will be helpful to you as you decide how you want to move ahead. Yeah, I want I want to second Mallory's recommendation for contacting a journalist and specifically a local journalist. Do you know what kind of story runs really well? <laughs> local medical professional is is a sexual predator, right? Uh, and unfortunately, as we have seen with the recent groundswell, is many times nobody takes action until it becomes the press. And my advice, of course, to come until it gets into the press. My advice to organizations that employ people like this is fire them before people go to the press, and the press will not have to be your HR department. And and part of what's hard too, I want to acknowledge just the subject line is not famous. Mm -hmm. I think part of what's especially painful for a lot of people just going through their day reading the news right now is this sense of reading these stories and saying someone did that to me and they're not famous and it's not newsworthy because I'm not a celebrity or I'm not upper middle class um, or it's not a high profile job and that sense of where's the headline for me 
Um, and I just just want to point out and acknowledge that I cannot promise you that if you get in touch with a journalist that they will be able to write a story or that they will, um, yeah, that they will be able to help you with that. So I just, partly I just want to acknowledge that mm-hmm. a lot of the options in front of you, I hope that they prove fruitful and helpful to you, um, but some of them may not. And that's part yeah. of the pain of what you're going through right now is like, is this, would this be a big enough story that other people would listen and care? Um, and I would just say, if nothing else, um, pay attention to this desire of yours, which is to find a way to say something. It sounds like that's what you want. You you ask, should I just let this go? And, and whatever you do, whether or not you decide to write a letter, whether or not you decide to um, go that route, I hope you don't feel like if you don't do that, you have to let it go. Um, if nothing else, you know that you do not have to let this go. Whatever not letting it go looks like, whether that means talking about it more with the people you care about, whether that means getting in touch with like the medical ethics board, whether that means contacting a journalist, whether that means contacting a lawyer and finding out how you could protect yourself, um, whether it means you want to try to find out... I'm guessing the statute of limitations has expired on this, but even just like filing a claim, if that's possible, um, just know that you do not have to let this go just because a lot of time has passed and because you think you might not ever be able to get traction on talking about your story. Just know you do not have to let this go. You do not have to just say it happened a long time ago and I'm just going to move on with my life. Like whatever not letting go of it looks like for you, that doesn't mean you're stuck that doesn't mean that he has somehow won. Um, if you want to talk about this, if you want to advocate for yourself, if you want to name the abuse and the violation that he committed against you, you have the right to do that. Um, and I hope very much that there are people in your life who will support you as you do that. Yeah, I just want to second, um, follow your heart and do whatever you feel is right for you. I mean, it could be it could be any many things we haven't even listed, like writing a blog post. Uh, in which you don't name him, or you do name him, or something like that. There's many, I would, many I would again, really consult that lawyer yeah, yeah. first. Uh, oh, and I just want to note, um, a lot of lawyers will give you free advice in this situation. So there's, yeah. uh, they're really upset that the, yeah. yeah. But, and, and I just, <laughs> you have a lot of options. Consider them. Pick the one that feels good to you. You're not being vindictive. Your motivation is to prevent him from harming future other people. I'm so glad that you said that, because I, yeah. I, I know we do need to, to wrap this up, but I, I think... Sometimes people who do not have a lot of firsthand experience with sexual assault um, will sort of ask, why now, if somebody says, this happened to me a number of years ago? And I think part of the answer is here in your letter is, can I assume that over the years he has learned not to rape women? Part of what's so painful about things like this is when something like this happens to you, you hope so much. I just hope they don't do this to other people. And when you see years later from the person who committed that act against you, there's been no acknowledgement. There's been no consequences. There's been no justice. They have continued to rise in their field. They have been met with success and applause. And you, you, you see and you realize nothing ever happened. And I, I'm so afraid that they are using their increased power and privilege to continue to hurt people. And that is so much what people want when they come forward is like you hear this over and over again. And that's not ever to suggest that victims are responsible for what perpetrators do. They're not. It is on all of us not to commit rape and assault. Um, it's not anyone else's responsibility or obligation to stop somebody. I mean, 
it's if 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 you commit rape, it is on you. You know, that's yep. it. Full stop. Um, but that's part of why this is coming up for you now. Is 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 you want so much for no one else to go through what you went through, and like that is what so many people want when they come forward with stories like this. Is they just want to know. I want to make sure they don't do it again. And you just want to be believed. Yeah. And let me tell you, just don't listen to the people who don't believe you. Just uh, don't. <laughs> I, I hope wrong. very much that there are no or very few people who do that because, like, you you so clearly, like, you have nothing to gain from this. This is not an outcome where you're going to be, like, given anything. Like, this is going to be a hard uphill battle. And I don't say that to discourage you. I hope that you're also met with support and, and, and compassion. Um, but... People don't come forward with a painful story decades in their past because they were bored um, or they didn't have There's, anything to do that day. There is no cash in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's because they want desperately to know um, that what happened to them mattered, that that other person is not continuing to victimize other people, um, and that that there's some form of justice out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just... I'm so sorry for what you went through. I'm so glad you're paying attention to that persistent voice within you that says, I want to talk about this. I want to get my story out there. And I encourage you to follow it um, and to investigate and ask questions about how you can do so safely and effectively. um, And to know that there are other people who have gone through the same thing that you're going through and you're not alone. So we didn't have very many questions today, but boy, oh boy, did we just dive deep into the human condition. And I, for one... I'm soaked and exhausted. I feel like I sat in the front row at SeaWorld. How about you? How you doing? <laughs> yeah, I usually feel very bad for the animals at SeaWorld, so yes. <laughs> the greatest protest sign I've ever seen in my life, I saw a picture of it on Twitter, was just an older gentleman sitting outside of the SeaWorld in San Diego with a sign that said, SeaWorld? More like Pool World. And I thought that, that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Not that there's not other excellent grounds to criticize SeaWorld. I just love that he was like, what's sea? It's a pool. It's not even a sea. It's not the ocean. I can see the bottom. It's made of concrete. Um, And I just want us all to close on that image of the lone man sitting outside of SeaWorld in San Diego speaking his truth. Let's all be that person for ourselves. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I hope very much this inspires Captain Awkward to come join me sometime soon. This is an open invitation, Captain Awkward. Uh, Please come on the show. Be great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe now. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. If you're looking for more to listen to from Slate, check out Lexicon Valley. It's a podcast about language, from pet peeves, syntax, and etymology to neurolinguistics and the death of languages. Find it at slate.com slash lexiconvalley or wherever you get your podcasts.